I'm with Tricia Strauss. Tricia Strauss is with the Youth Assistance Program of Hamilton County. She concentrates on uh, young people in the Hamilton Southeastern School Corporation um, and works out of the office uh, in, in Fishers, Indiana. So, Tricia, it's always good to talk to you. Sadly, I hate the fact we have to, to talk under these circumstances. I agree. Thank you so much. Good morning, Larry, and thanks for having me. Well, let me start with this. You know, I, uh, I recently saw a, a documentary film about Fred Rogers, a man who did Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he would uh, talk to children about difficult or tough things that happen. You know, his old saying, which a lot of people are using today, is that if you're, if you're a child and you're watching TV or you're, you're following this, always look for the helpers. There's all, there are always people helping no matter how bad things get. Well, I would count you and your organization as, as one of the helpers in this day and age. So I guess my first question is, uh, as, as tough as things are now, how are the helpers doing? I would say the helpers are doing well and are strong. Um, and I don't want to just take by any means the credit here. We are part of a vast network of helpers between Nancy Chance and the Good Samaritan Network kind of leading us as champions in the community to my colleague Dee, to all my colleagues throughout the other Hamilton County's assistance offices, to every volunteer who is in the food pantry. Um, I feel Hamilton County is in a really strong place right now. When this started close to three weeks ago, um, you know, going on four now, uh, many, many questions sat there for all of us when we were around the table the last time as youth assistants of how are we going to get through this, and um, our partners could not have rose to the occasion more. So I feel the helpers are strong. Um, we're, we're tired, we're weary, but we are pushing through because we know we're here for our families. And this, that's one thing I want to, before we get into the, some of the details of how you're, you and your organization and all the people involved, you are right. It is a huge number, and I, I do appreciate uh, you be willing to, to be their spokesperson here today. But what, I, uh, what I've always wondered about, and I'd, I'd like you to generally comment on this, no, obviously no specific uh, information, but it's amazing, although we consider Fishers to be a uh, uh, I don't know how the proper word to use, but it's it's a fairly wealthy suburb, perhaps not on the par with Carmel, but the wealthier than average in the state of Indiana in terms of the, the people who live here, the 90,000-plus people of Fishers. And you, it's even more because you actually uh, pan out and you're dealing with people in the HSC schools, which is a larger area than just the city officials, although that the city of Fishers is within that. At a time like this, do you get a feel, as someone working in this area, that there are a lot of pe- <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people who seem to be doing just fine, but lose a paycheck or two, or, or have a, a one major uh, difficulty, and all of a sudden they're really in some problem. They're they're in trouble territory. Can you comment just generally what you're what you're seeing in that regard in the last two three weeks? Absolutely. And I don't think that it's, I think that's kind of a misunderstanding of living in Fishers and living in Hamilton County, is that most people are doing okay. To have the safety, to have the great parks, to have the amazing schools that we have, it's expensive to live here. There's no public transportation. Housing is expensive. So way before, I've been here six years now, way before this, 
the day-to-day families that I work with, those are the ones that are the one paycheck away. They don't have the luxury of having the 401ks to fall back on or the savings, um, even the extra money at the end of the month for buying and stocking up on groceries. So those families were the first ones that we've started to hear from. And there's a lot more out there than people know and recognize daily. When did you first really begin to realize this was going to be a, a crisis for you and other social service type agencies? Was it, was it when the government began telling restaurants and businesses to shut down? Or when did you really feel, okay, we're, we're, we've really got to gear up and get ready for this? Honestly, I think it was at the first suggestion of school. And when school ended, which um, closed down, you know, I'm not using it to say that that's the only reason. Obviously, kids are there all day, but parents rely on that. When they need to get up and go to work, that's seven to eight hours of the day. Plus, we had school-based child care. So the second the governor closed the schools, and we had to all sit and assess how are our families going to get to work. They don't have money to pay for school for those additional eight, or excuse me, child care for those additional seven to eight hours. I think that was the first realization that this was going to get worse than we had hoped um, because you just have a total shift in where everyone's finances are going. Well, I want to talk about uh, various help, and I want to start with, uh, you mentioned the schools. I'm going to start with this. Uh, what are called what you call school related resources, and I, I think in this day and age, when high speed internet is, is something we all think is a, is a necessity, it obviously is a necessity if, if you want to uh, work online to to to, uh, to continue to take your school lessons. It's the online system that is going to be relied upon. Uh, you did. You were kind enough to send me a, a, a large amount of information, and one thing that struck me is these. Uh, youngsters in, in HSC schools are are trying to keep up with their studies for the rest of the school year. Is the fact that m- I think most, if not all, of the uh, service providers uh, in the Fishers uh, HSC schools area, AT and T, uh, Xfinity, and some others, uh, have come to the plate and said we are not going to disconnect anybody. I think for sixty days, which would take them through the end of the school year in most cases. So talk about how the Internet service providers have tried to step in and and do what they can to help the young people as they try to finish the school year. Yeah, the Internet service providers, for those who can access them, have been phenomenal. Like you mentioned, they're, they're withholding of cancellation of services. Many of them are offering promotionals. Um, and what's been great about that is in In the past, we've always struggled with families trying to make sure they can do Internet and do schoolwork at home. And those families who maybe have a past due bill or previously struggled and don't have the credit that was needed, that prevention that we used to see has been lifted, at least as of right now. The only pocket that we're finding are those families that are in kind of a hole where there is no service provider out there. And HSC, IT um, department, and myself have been in contact as of this week trying to strategize for those two families. They can go and use Wi-Fi at certain buildings, um, but when you've got some of the larger families, you know, schoolwork occurring in the car is, is difficult, difficult for everyone. And HSC's been on top of that with me trying to strategize 
how can we respond to those situations in a one-off situation? Yeah, because hotspots, that's something people talk about. But most of the hotspots, because buildings have to be closed for the most part, are in your car. I see the HSC, uh, I'm sorry, not HSC, the uh, Hamilton East Library, Noblesville and Fishers. They are setting up uh, large portions of their parking lots as hotspots. But you're right. Working out of a car is not always the easiest thing to do, especially for a long period of time. So uh, I know that uh, sometimes answers are, are not easy to come by. Uh, I want to go back and talk about what always comes to the fore when you have an emergency situation like this, and that would certainly be the availability of food. And there have always been food resources in Hamilton County for people to uh, utilize if need be, but uh, explain how you know people are trying to step up to the plate because the, I'm sure the demand is higher than we've seen in a very long time. Absolutely. Well, weekly, there is a very large collaboration of all different community providers that come together on a conference call led by Good Samaritan Network and Nancy Chance. And not only do we discuss um, just kind of trends and patterns, challenges that any of our organizations are seeing, but Nancy's final concluding discussion always revolves around what is the status of our pantries. Food is a basic need. And no matter what kind of situation we're in. Her goal is that we are going to get these families fed. She has traveled to Texas. She has got grants from Lily. Um, and daily, weekly, she has ensured that families can go to any of the pantries within Hamilton County and they're stocked enough to meet their needs. And that has been a phenomenal resource that we've been able to really push our families towards. We took the pantry listing and made it specific to just Hamilton Southeastern families because we didn't want them driving to the far outskirts of our county if they wouldn't be able to be served there. And um, just giving families a picture day to day that there are resources six out of seven days a week that they can go to has been amazing. Many of the pantries have lifted their normal restrictions of one time a month or what type of identification and requirements that you need to have. Grace Care Center has done an online program that's been phenomenal. So families still get the choice of items if they have allergies, dietary restrictions, restrictions based on faith of what they would eat. Um, but all of these pantries have beyond risen to the challenge here. Well, I, I worry, and this is something I just kind of generally get your feel on, uh, there are there as, as you mentioned that we have the township trustees that have been doing this on the government level and many nonprofits, non-government organizations out there, churches and other organizations that are, that have had this uh, service for a long time. Uh, are they being stretched? Are they able to get the financial support they need from the various sources uh, that they've been using to access food or just uh, the money to continue? Are, are they doing okay now? And and uh, What's your feel for that? I had a conversation with Nancy Chance earlier in the week, and I actually did ask her that just out of curiosity. And at one point, her mention to me was it wasn't necessarily that people were lacking in funding. It's lacking the ability to get the food. So when she says she went down to Texas to get food, it was because the bulk of the food items that were needed were just not reachable here in Indiana. There are tons of different grants from the Community Foundation 
to ones by the city, ones by uh, the state that I know people are reaching out and applying for. We are doing so um, on small basis as youth assistance when we see a need that we don't know a traditional way to meet. Um, and overall, yes, that is a concern going forward longer term, how we replenish this. Once we get people back to work and they're contributing back to taxes, people are more comfortable with where they're at financially, I think the donations will pick back up, um, whether it's an in-kind or an actual financial one. Uh, but today, at least from what she had shared with me, it's more an issue of supply and demand rather than the financial means at this point. Yeah, and that's one reason I bring that up, because just those of us uh, who have the financial wherewithal to buy food we need are finding it a little difficult at times. Uh, just because when, when there's a crisis, people uh, tend to buy up a little more or a lot more in some cases. And so uh, I think what I'm hearing you say is that uh, some of the nonprofits are trying to get creative and trying to find supply sources that may not have been sources they've used. And I want to say one thing, because uh, I know that there are a number of foundations locally who are stepping up to the plate. I just saw some astounding figures. You mentioned Lilly Foundation. They are anteing up and, and pouring money locally into all sorts of programs for people in need. So I think if there's, uh, once again, a look at the helpers, I think there are some large foundations that are stepping up and, and are, are trying to help organizations you depend on. Absolutely. I want to talk about um, about something else, because food obviously is an immediate need. Everybody has that. But now we're, we're going to have to deal with, with, with this whole issue of finances. I, I, I look at the landscape, and I know Congress has approved an enhancement, let's say, into unemployment benefits. Not everybody is eligible for unemployment benefits, and the system that administers it is being taxed to the limit. And, uh, and I know that and I've worked in government and uh, during trying times and people depend on you and I know how hard people are working, but they just can't keep up with, with the demand. So when, when people come to you, and again, this goes back to the fact that you, even though you concentrate on youth, if there's a problem with, with, with young people, it usually relates to the entire family. And if you cannot uh, fix the problem for the entire family, you know, the young people are, are obviously going to suffer with everyone else. So with that in mind, I know that, that you uh, a lot of what you do is is get people pointed in the right direction for help. When, when finances are bad, you mentioned it earlier, some people don't have even a 401k, although, you know, it's not a good idea to tap that if you can avoid it. Some people have no choice. They have no savings. Uh, they need financial help. That's a different kind of assistance. How do you go about getting people pointed in the right direction there? Well, and you said it best. We look holistically at the family. So right now, the youth may be in an apartment. They may have food. You know, school is on pause for spring break, but then we'll start back up and we're in e-learning. So day to day, the challenge may not be with the youth, but the entire family structure. That's kind of how youth assistance has always operated. We wrap around the entire family. So what we did as this came on is we sat and realized our families are going to come to us in a pocket of crisis. And we are able to sit back with them and sort of triage the situation. So the financial resource list that we developed was in the very beginning to kind of just remind everyone where they can go. We're in the process right now of finalizing almost a checklist to say, I found myself unemployed. Now what? 
so many in our community might not have been in this place before, and even just where to get started is overwhelming. So the checklist kind of basically gives them a first starting point. Have you filed for unemployment? Should you file for unemployment? And how do you do that? Have you lost your insurance? How do you get signed up for that? Food stamps, how do you get signed up for that? And it kind of works them through. And that's what day-to-day all of us advocates throughout the county do with families, is we kind of step them through the process of how to make themselves self-sufficient again. And it concludes with, by the way, right now if you're finding yourself unemployed and in your in a moment while you're waiting for unemployment or you want to continue to work, here are all of our partners that are out there from work one to workforce development that need people today. And kind of at the end of the conversation where we hope we get them to is at least a place where they feel they have control of the situation. That's where everyone is at at this point. When you're in crisis, you're not in control. And giving them that to-do list and giving them something daily or several things a day to work on helps them to put this into a manageable place where they feel like they're getting that control back in. Yeah, and I, I let me ask you this because uh, we're recording this the morning of April 9th, twenty twenty, and there's a lot of publicity about about the, uh, the some people call it a stimulus check. I'm not sure stimulus is really the correct word, but there are uh, payments being sent out to people uh, immediately. They'll be sent out to people who have uh, bank account information on file with the Internal Revenue Service and the Social Security Administration. But if you don't, you're going to have to wait for that money. Uh, are you going to provide like help or point people in the right direction? Because I've heard IRS is very understaffed because they have had to close down a number of their offices uh, just because of, of, of the danger of, of coronavirus and, and not having people all together in, in, in one place. So with all that in mind, uh, some people are going to have to file tax returns or they haven't in years. So with all that in mind, uh, will you be pointing people in a certain direction to to get help if, if they're having trouble getting this government payment, which obviously many of them need very badly? Yes, and I think we're taking it based on what's the particular need. So again, making this a tangible checklist. So for example, energy assistance. If someone has an energy bill that they cannot pay, we are getting them signed up for energy assistance or Good Samaritan Network and getting that filed. Uh, a couple weeks back when this all started, I had a mom who had been working, great job, put on a layoff status because the bulk of her work is with children and with all the school districts closed, they were paused. And within 72 hours of filing for energy assistance, which we were still in March at that point, she had her bills covered through June. That took a very large chunk of weight of pressure off of her, that she wasn't going to have those things. Working with our families on how to prioritize, if you have rent mortgage due, what do you do? Because when these forbearance periods are lifted or when this HUD period is lifted, there's going to be a very quick turnaround where they're going to want their money, the landlords, the mortgages. And so we don't want our families to sit and wait and just hold on to that money. So we are directing them. You need to start with your township trustee. You need to make sure as much as possible you stay current because it's much easier to walk in today saying, I can't pay April's rent for $1,000 as compared to June where you haven't paid it for three months and you're asking for $3,000 and the trustee is struggling to make sure that they can do that and meet everyone's needs. 
So we're trying to encourage everyone as much as possible, triage your bills, use the food pantries to save on your food costs so that you can direct that towards your rent. You can direct it towards your car payments. It's another resource we're actually in the process of developing right now is putting those things into place because a lot of our families will have auto loans. They'll have student loan debt, mortgage and rent, things like that, credit card bills, and just sort of putting that in a triage process of you need to stay up on those as much as you can. Work with your providers, work with your lenders to make sure that if you can set up payment plans, that when this period is lifted and they start to come to you, your account's still in good status. Interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, and you're right. If you can't possibly get the money together to pay everything now, you don't have the, uh, you don't have to ask uh, for help later in, in a much larger sense. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, just from what you have seen so far, because since this all hit, the first uh, the month is normally when mortgages and rent will be due. Uh, I know that uh, there has been a lot of pressure, even action by government, uh, to try to make sure that landlords and financial institutions and mortgage companies are are are, are letting people uh, uh, try to get through this. In your not, don't be specific, but in your general observation, are these entities uh, allowing forbearance on people at this time? They are. And I think that that is almost unhelpful for the larger process um, because what's going to happen is they have a false sense that they have more money than they do. And what I am seeing from some of the landlords is there's a reminder, you, you will not be evicted today. When this is lifted, though, you will have exactly 30 days or we will file eviction. And that's for the full so amount. That's, that's, for, that's for the full amount, right? Exactly. Yes, the full amount. And some are even including the fees. So if you missed your April payment and you would normally owe 10% of the fees, you're going to owe that in May and June and July, whenever this ends and they lift that. And that's the scariest part about this to me for all of the families that we support and all the families that are just out in our community with us is I fear we're going to see a mass situation of evictions uh, you know, foreclosures for mortgages, things like that. So just encouraging people to stay as smart as they can, either utilizing social media, like I said, we're going to develop a resource list to share out, and pointing towards those financial advisors that can really say, this is what a forbearance means. You're going to have to owe all this money, like you said, within 30 days. And it's insurmountable, and that's what's going to put people underneath that they're not able to recover. And that will make this even more devastating fiscally. I'm sure there are many people uh, within the, the families that you serve who are considered essential employees, or perhaps their boss just says you are essential, you must come to work. And, and you mentioned this earlier, that child care becomes an issue. Uh, you do have some uh, resource information on that. In general, how should people try to handle that situation where you're your children are at home. They're going to take classes three days a week, uh, you know, online if they're able to do that. Uh, tell me what you are recommending people do in a situation like that. So for those who are still essential workers and are out there daily and their children aren't of the age where they can be home and self-sufficient, there is a phenomenal resource through the state that's on our resource guide where you can either go online and research based on where you live and the type of child care provider you want, 
and they will give you different recommendations. And if you would rather talk to a person, you can also call a number. Um, and it's all on our website and on our social media, these two particular pieces of direction and guidance on how to get to these outlets. We've also just recently seen and published information out by social media that the state is helping with child care vouchers. These are normally things that it takes us, you know, more than 18 months to get to put into place in traditional time. And for essential workers, they're putting those into place very quickly. And then that helps defer the cost for child care. And even places such as our YMCA, they have opened up for essential workers. SAS have several branches throughout greater Indianapolis because they all recognize we need to keep these people working and keep their children safe and healthy. Um, and during those times then, if they have e-learning, they're helping to operate that. Um, and just in general, helping to make sure that they're getting fed during the day. Yes, and I want to emphasize that you have an excellent website with a lot of resource information on it. If you're able to get onto the Internet, uh, uh, then you need to go to youthassistance.org altogether, youthassistance.org. If someone needs to contact a youth assistance program and uh, needs to talk to someone, what's the best phone number to use? The best phone number would be 317-567-5115, and that gets you to either our office coordinator, Shannon Beerling, uh, my colleague, Dee Chandler, or myself. Also, if email is easier, our email address is on there as well. Let me repeat that for you. It's 317-567-5115. If you need to talk to someone at Youth Assistance Program, they obviously uh, center on youth, but uh, they will try to help the entire family because young people depend upon their families. I do want to ask you one last thing, and, and it's, uh, it's hard to, to imagine, but we are less than two months away from the end of the school year. And your uh, operation does each summer take care of meals for people who are in need of, of meals during the summer months where the schools are not available. I know the school corporations, and, and it's amazing how hard they have had to work and garner resources to still provide uh, meals to families during the school year. Once that is up, I would assume you're already working on the summer meal program. We actually take maybe a month off each year once it ends. So we took September off, but starting in October, we've already been planning for summer of 2020. We have a phenomenal committee led by Linda Carlino, and we've been preparing all year. Obviously, we have just stopped and said we're going to have to take a very different direction. We normally have a phenomenal starting donation process with Pack the Cruiser and Fisher's Police Department. But with the social distancing, we're not sure if we'll be able to do that program. Um, we always rely on a vast number, probably close to 50 volunteers each distribution day. And again, social distancing might truly limit that. So that group is continuously hard at work to try and figure out how we will make social, sorry, summer meals happen, what that's going to look like. And is there a way to increase capacity to support even more families? Well, with you and your colleagues, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. To this summer. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. This we have the speaker phones are like that. Uh, just uh, if, if I must say, you and your colleagues, and certainly Linda Carlino, will are quite capable of finding an answer to these challenges that you have. Um, one last comment from me. I, I just want to say this. 
you know, we talk about essential workers and we talk about people on the front lines, and there are so many. There's our first responders, the nurses, the doctors, all the people working in the medical system that are are right on the front lines and, and working hard. I would have to say that you and, and the people working with you and youth assistance here in Hamilton County are certainly among the people that are working very hard on the front lines helping people out. So uh, just a word of uh, thanks from me and anything you'd like Thank to say. You, Larry. Anything you'd like to say before we wrap this up. The only final reminder I'd like to offer is that HSE Schools Food Distributions will start up again in, next week. And the registration for that, there is a pre-registration required, ends tomorrow. So any family that is in need, please go ahead and sign up so that that food can be prepared and ready for you. Well, uh, Tricia Strauss, Godspeed to you and all the people working with you. And uh, I know that uh, the workload has has been difficult. You're making adjustments on the fly as things change. And and, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me so we can kind of better inform uh, the families in the Fishers area and elsewhere uh, what's going on. So thank you again, and and thanks so much for, for speaking with me today. Thank you again, Larry. I hope you and your family continue to stay safe and healthy.